take your Bibles and let's go to Psalm 90 just for a few moments this morning. Psalm 90. I've enjoyed being together with our high school today and just want to leave you with a challenge from God's Word today. Psalm 90 is a wonderful psalm that concludes with some great advice. In Psalm 90, look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Time moves extremely fast. I think all of you would admit that, though there are times when it seems to be going kind of slow. Uh, my English classes in school went very slowly. I was a clock watcher in high school. I used to be self-designated to make sure all of the clocks in all of the classrooms were operating correctly. So I would watch them to make sure the hands moved and they were progressing along. I went into my homeroom one day and my homeroom teacher, Mr. Coletti, had put a sign under the clock. It said, time will pass. Will you? That sort of cured me from looking at the clock for a few days. But I have to tell you that time does go very, very quickly. And the Bible says so. What is your life? It's even a vapor. that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is definitely short. Last Thursday, I was privileged to speak at an educators conference in the Midwest. And they were introducing me for the the session or the, the final service, I guess it was, when this particular man introduced me. He was the president of the Minnesota Association of Christian Schools, Dr. Mark Poorman. Dr. Poorman pastors the Woodcrest Baptist Church in Fridley, Minnesota, northeast Minneapolis. His dad was the pastor before he was. And uh, Dr. Poorman got up to introduce me. I'm sitting there waiting to speak, thinking... Mark was in eighth grade when I taught him in a Christian school, fresh out of college. He was an eighth grade kid. Now he's the pastor of this great church, the president of the Minnesota Association, has a, a doctor's degree. I mean, you think, where did the time go? Where did it go? Time moves extremely quickly. And today we are spending our life. Verse 9 says we spend our years as a tale that is told. You're not earning any bonus minutes by being a Christian. You're not earning bonus minutes because you're in a Bible college or in a Christian high school. We're spending time in college. We're spending our years in high school. We're spending today in chapel. Someone may ask you tomorrow, how did you spend yesterday? How did you spend last night? How did you spend last weekend? We're constantly spending time. 
And the psalmist is very kind to us here because as he challenges us about the brevity of life, he gives us three directives about our time as he closes this chapter. The first directive is found in verse number 14. He says, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. He's saying, make your days count early. The temptation when you're young is to say to yourself, well, when I get to high school, or when I get to college, or when I get married, or when I get in the ministry, when I get a career going, the tendency is to always kind of be looking ahead and saying, when I do that, then I will do this. A lot of people say, well, when I, when I get older, I'll get saved. You know, one of these days, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I know I need to be, but I, I'm not ready right now. One of these days, I'll get saved. You know, a lot of people that plan to get saved at 11 o'clock die at 1030. Felix, in the book of Acts, heard Paul preach, and the Bible says he was so moved by that sermon, he began to tremble, he began to shake under the conviction. And he turned to Paul and he said, when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. I've read the book of Acts, I've read the rest of the Bible searching for that time. But there's no record of it. There's no record that the convenient season for Felix ever came. He intended to get saved. He was under conviction. He knew he needed to be. And he thought, well, I'll, I'll do that later. I'll do that at a later time. And that's the temptation. Well, when I, you know, when I get married, I'll, I'll get serious about serving God. I'll, I'll get serious about, you know, my Christian life. Or when I get to Bible college, then, then I'll start having my devotions. Or, you know, when I get out in the ministry, then I'll really get serious about soul winning. Listen, make your days count early. Don't put off what you know is right to do to a later time. If it's right to do, it's right to do today. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing now. God is a present tense God. God never says, get saved tomorrow. He never says, get saved soon. He never says, get right with God someday. He says, today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. God speaks in the present tense. And whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, whether you're a faculty member, whoever you are in this room, listen, serve the Lord today. Make your days count early. Let me say this, make your day count early. You know, it's so easy, especially, you know, we're under a heavy schedule and time just moves by and we got all this stuff to do and it's real easy to kind of, some of you don't get up in the morning, you get resurrected. You know, it's not like you rise in the morning. No, you have to be resurrected from the dead. The preacher yesterday was talking about praying for an alarm clock. Some of you are praying somebody will steal yours. And the mornings, you know, are just difficult. And oh boy, you know, you've got this schedule. You've got to go to school. You've got to go to work. You've got all this stuff on your plate. And then we're throwing missions conference and, and college days and all these events in there. And, and then, you know, they want us to do this and do that. And, and our time gets consumed and it's so easy to go through a day and not even talk to the Lord. Not even open his word. Not even think about spiritual things. Let me encourage you when you get up in the morning. It, it may not be your most productive time. 
I've learned that college students, they're morning people. All college students are morning people, as long as morning starts at 1030. <laughs> college students, by and large, are, are, are night owls. Uh, if we said we're having an activity tonight at 1 a.m., you'd all be there. You, 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 you just, you know, just something about that. If we said, hey, tomorrow morning, 5 o'clock, you'd be like, what? <laughs> we're not all morning people. But let me encourage you to start your morning with the Lord. Maybe it's not the most productive time to have your devotions. I have four kids. Their most productive time was not all at the same hour. And and so some of my kids, as they were growing up, they read their Bible at night. That was the productive time for them to get something out of God's Word. That's what you need to be doing. But start your day with the Lord, even if it's not the best time. I mean, it's hard to read the Bible when your eyes aren't open. You know? But start your day with the Lord. Meditate on a scripture. Maybe the sermon we heard the day before in chapel, or maybe the Sunday sermon, or, or maybe let one of the songs we sang in, in church go through your mind first thing in the morning. You might have to write it down on your nightstand before you go to bed. Maybe, maybe have some verse on your, on your phone or something that when you wake up, you try to memorize that verse or think about that verse. Or maybe it's a prayer request that was mentioned in chapel, and the first thing you do when you get up in the morning, Lord, bless Brother Robertson, help him to get through this difficult time in his life. You know, when you start the day with the Lord in some way like that, he'll go through, he'll go through the whole day with you. But when you forget about him until noon or the time you get your eyes open or the time you get around to reading your Bible, sometimes you've, you've kind of messed up a lot of things in the day. So make your days count early. But then he gives us the directive to make our days count in evil. In verse 15 he says, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Now we are well aware that these are becoming more and more evil days. The days around us, the culture around us, is constantly devolving farther and farther away from God. We're seeing our nation, we're seeing the world in general leave God and leave the Bible and, and put truth in the rearview mirror, so to speak, of life. And, and we're trying to live life on our own. And as a result, we have a very chaotic culture. We have a culture without much direction. Everybody's kind of doing what's right in their own eyes. And as a result, we have some evil men and seducers that are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you know what the next verse says? Continue thou in the things that you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You see, just because the days in our culture are getting worse and more and more evil doesn't give us a pass. We might think, well, it was easy to serve God in D.L. Moody's day, or it was easy to serve God back in in Jesus' day, or it was easy to serve God when Moses was around. No, it, it really wasn't. But the truth is, just because our days may seem more evil, there may seem to be more sin at our disposal, and there may seem to be more temptations, that doesn't mean we get to just kind of sit and wait for the rapture. God says, make your days count in evil. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, don't put your light under a bushel. Don't put your light out. No, let your light shine. The darker the night, the farther the light. And all of the darkness in the world cannot put out one light. Some of you work at places and and your jobs and you're the only Christian there. Let your light shine. Let it shine because you're in in a dark place, we could say. But that light will have greater effect. Some of you are the only person saved in your family. 
You're a first-generation Christian. Boy, you need to be letting your light shine. You say, but they laugh at me. They make fun of me. They, they criticize me. They, they, they make it difficult for me. Let your light shine. You know, the Bible says, redeeming the time. Well, we hear that a lot. Redeem the time. Redeem the time, you know. Man, listen, Dr. Rasmus, long enough, you'd be reading a book while you're taking a shower, you know. <laughs> redeem the time, you know. But you know why it says redeem the time? The rest of the verse says redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, when times get wicked, when times get evil, that's the time for Christians to step up to the plate. That's the time for us to make our life count. Why? And you don't really have to really try. If you just live kind of normal, you're going to stand out. You're going to be different. And God says, take advantage of that. Let your days count in evil. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. And you should be letting uh, the light shine from your life. Let it shine. Let it shine. Make your days count early. Make your days count in evil. And then the third directive, he says, make your days count for eternity. In verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Someone has said, if you want your life to count, live it for something that outlasts it. What's going to outlast my life? Well, it's it's not this. Because that's staying here when I leave. So my material things, my, my money, that's not going to outlast my life. Well, what about fame? Success? Hmm. I couldn't tell you who won the World Series four years ago. Though it seemed pretty important at the time. Just like the one now, it's kind of interesting. Who's going to get there? Yeah, in the present, it's pretty important. But in the future, the present isn't so important. And in eternity, it doesn't count at all. So life isn't about making money. Life isn't about success and fame and having friends and knowing people. I mean... Because that's all, that's all temporal. That's all here. And in the temporal, the temporal is important. But in eternity, it's not. So what's going to outlast my life? And there's only one answer to that question. And that's the souls of men. The only thing we're taking with us is other people. So let me ask you something, high school student. Let me ask you something, college student. As I ask myself, what on our schedule today has to do with that? Because if all that's going to matter in eternity is whether we got some more people to get there, then we should be living for that. We should be involved in that. We should be passionate about that. 
If we're going to make our life count, we've got to live it for something that outlasts it. The only thing that's going to outlast our life here are people. They're going to last forever in eternity, heaven or hell. The harvest truly is plenteous, Jesus said. Is the harvest on our to-do list? Are we concerned about that? Back in 2009, the camp out here at Ironwood asked me to come and preach a men's retreat. And uh, it was supposed to start on a Thursday night at 5 and would go through Saturday at noon. Well, normally, if I'm preaching a meeting like that, that close, Ironwood's only a couple hours away, I would teach in the morning and then I'd drive out to Ironwood and preach and come back. Spend the night here, teach in the morning, drive back out and preach at night. And I do a lot of meetings that way throughout the school year where it's drivable like that. But the camp had said, Brother Gash, could you do some sessions Friday morning for the men? Some workshops, if you please. And I said, sure, glad to. Well, to accept that meant I wasn't going to be able to be here. I haven't figured out how to be omnipresent yet. My secretary's working on it, but uh, I thought, okay, well, I'll get somebody to teach my classes, whatever, do something there, and, and I'll, I'll glad to take this opportunity. So that's what we did. And on Thursday, I left campus about 3 o'clock and uh, drove out to Ironwood, and at, my intent was then to stay there until Saturday noon. And so got my ducks in a row here, as we say, and got in the car, drove out there, got there right at 5, and the men were going into the dining hall for the evening meal. It was 5 o'clock, and they were going in. About 200 men had gathered there, and they were going in. Well, I jumped out of the car, and I joined them. I walked into the dining hall and met some of the men that were there, and we had some good fellowship and a nice meal. And, and pretty soon, boy, the time went kind of quickly, and all of a sudden, Brother Sam, the director of the camp, he got up and he said, All right, men, it's five minutes to seven. We're starting the meeting tonight at seven o'clock. We got two preachers. Brother Getch will preach first. So go grab your Bible. Let's head on down to the meeting hall. Boy, I looked at my watch and said, Whoa, seven o'clock already, you know. And I'm preaching first. I knew I was preaching, but I didn't know I was first. And so I ran out to my car and I got my, my Bible and I had my notes in there for tonight and had that ready to go. And I got my Bible and I, I went down to the meeting hall and we had the service. And of course at camp, you know, you're not concerned about time. The services go longer at camp. And we had two speakers and we had skits and songs and all this stuff you do at camp. And had a great time and good response to the preaching, both services. And, and uh, it was about 10.15 when we dismissed everybody. And I was walking out of that meeting hall, and, and Brother Sam, he said, Brother Getch, have you been to your cabin yet? I said, no, nah, no, nah, I haven't, but it's okay. I, I know where it is. I, I, I'll be fine. He said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll walk with you. I said, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. I, I know where it is. I preached at Ironwood before, and they got this, they got this cement block building, and they, it's got four rooms in it, and, they, and, and it's got four bedrooms, and it's got kind of a kitchenette and stuff you can use, and, and, and they got your name on the door. If you're, if you're staying there, they got your name on the door. You know which door is yours, and you go in there, and that's where you sleep. So I said, I, I'm fine. I can find it. He said, no, no, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. And I thought, oh, man, this guy's got a million things to do running this camp, and he's going to walk with me, and it's kind of dumb. Besides, I'm an introvert. I don't like to walk with people. And so... <laughs> We're walking out, and it's, it's, of course, it's completely black. It's, it's, it's 10, 15, you know, it's, it's late at night, and, and, and it's completely dark out there. And we started walking, and he's chatting away about the great retreat, the good numbers and good decisions tonight, and boy, thank you for coming, all this stuff. And 
And we're walking up this hill, but we're going the wrong way. We're, we're headed the wrong direction. And I'm thinking, where's he going? He's the director of the camp. He should know where to go. I mean, we're going the wrong way. And I, as an introvert, you have to think through, process all this. Do, when do I tell him, you know? So he's chatting away, and I'm thinking, we get about halfway up the hill, and he stops. He says, well, here we are. And I looked up, and here was a cabin I'd never seen before. He said, well, I guess you can pull your car down here. Just, just unload here. Leave your car here all the weekend. And he said, inside, here's the key. Inside, there's a bed. There's a shower. There's a desk. There's a phone. He said, by the phone, there's a list of all of our numbers on staff. If you need anything, just give any of us a call. We'll get it for you. He said, everything should be in there. But if you need anything, man, I'm thinking, I get my own place. I don't have to go up to that other place and listen to those other guys snore in those other rooms all night. This is awesome. Well, man, I went up and got my car, and I drove it down there. And now it's about 10.30, 10.45. I don't know. It's, it's late. And I, I opened that door, and I took my stuff in, kind of set it down, and I went to bed. I was tired. I went to bed. Next morning, I got up. I decided, now nah, I'm not going to go to breakfast. I need to look at my notes. I had four sessions that morning that I was supposed to do, and I, I had them prepared, but I wanted to look at them, you know, get them straight in my mind. And so I'm looking at my notes there at the desk and just trying to get ready and and uh, so 8 o'clock came, I went down to the meeting hall and I taught the first session, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, taught the four sessions. Boy, by noon, I was ready for some lunch and hopefully some, some R&R in the afternoon, you know. And so, so I, I, I headed out of the, the, the building, I'm heading up to my cabin, I'm going to put my Bible away so I can go to lunch. As I'm going up that hill, a guy's calling my name, Brother Gatch, Brother Gatch. Well, I kind of slowed up a bit. This man caught up. I said, yes. He said, uh, I uh, want to ask you a, a favor. Oh, I tried not to act weird. I thought, I'm going to miss lunch, but, you know, okay. I said, uh, what is it? He said, uh, could I go in your cabin? Huh? Uh, I was trying to remember if I made the bed. I said, sir, tears were welling up in his eyes. He said, Brother Getch, did you notice the picture and the plaque in your cabin? I said, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think I did. I got in kind of late last night. I didn't really look around this morning. A picture, plaque. Tears now are just flowing down his face. He said, Brother Gatch, your cabin is dedicated to my son. He was killed four years ago today. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Your son? How old was he? Fifteen. I said, you, you, you said he was killed. How? He said, Brother Gatch, it was a Wednesday and our youth pastor had asked if the teenagers would sing that night in church. And he asked if they could come 30 minutes early to practice for the final time, get ready. Jacob was only 15. He didn't have a license, so that meant we'd have to go early. But a friend of his who has his license, he, he offered to pick Jacob up and take him. And we thought that'd be fine. He, had, he was a good young man. We were friends with his family and so on. And so he said, that'd be great if you could do that. So he did. 
He picked up Jacob and they were going to church. And on the way, they got hit by a drunk driver. He said, Jacob didn't make it. He said, Billy Gatch, after the funeral was over, our friends and some of our church family, they gave us cards of sympathy and inside there was money. We didn't really need it. We had a life insurance policy on Jacob and it covered all of the funeral expenses. My wife and I, about a month later, were looking at this money that we had received at the funeral and we thought, what are we going to do with this? We thought of the camp. He said, Jacob loved it out here. He loved this place. He was called to preach out here. He said, in fact, he would have been a freshman this year at West Coast. He was so looking forward to learning how to preach. He said, because Jacob loved the camp, we thought, why don't we give the money to the camp as a memorial for Jacob? They can do whatever they want with it. Long story short, the camp had been praying that they could build a cabin just for the keynote speaker. There was enough money to build the cabin. He said, Brother Getch, they put a picture of Jacob in there and a plaque. And since it was four years ago today, I just wonder if I could go in there a minute. Oh, wow. We were at the door now, and I was putting the key in there and turning it and pushed the door back, and I set my Bible inside on a chair, and I said, sir, you go on in. You take your time. I'll wait out here. He went inside, and I sat on the porch. It seemed like longer. I'm sure it wasn't more than 15 minutes, maybe 20. Pretty soon he came out. And I said, sir, anytime. Anytime you want to come back, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, anytime I'm here, you just knock, I'll vacate. You can, you can have the room. He thanked me and he went on to lunch. Now I went in that room because I wanted to see that picture and that plaque. And there on the wall, if I had laid down the night before with the light on, it would have stared me right in the face. Picture of this young man, the plaque. And here's what it said. In loving memory of Jacob Ryan Castro, 1990 to 2005. Jacob was a camper and is now in heaven God be the glory. This plaque is here to remind each reader that every camper has a soul. And that every soul will spend eternity somewhere. Nothing in this world is as important as the people you meet. One soul is worth more than all the world's treasure. For what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for soul? One is worth more than all. One soul is worth more to God than all. And if that's true, and it is, then it ought to be reflected in our priorities. Life's going to go by real fast. Make your days count early. Make them count in evil. Make them count for eternity. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Lord, would you show us today that our life is a vapor. And when we're young, it doesn't seem like it. But Lord, the days, the months, the weeks go by and we can see that time is slipping away as we get into high school and college and enter into life Lord we have just one life and it'll soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last 
And so God, make us to number our days today and apply our hearts to wisdom. As the piano plays, if God's speaking to your heart, whether you're in college or high school, take a moment to talk to the Lord before we leave. He wants to talk to you. I hope you've let him. And as he's communicated with you, now you communicate with him.